Hi guys, it's Kara, host of Everyone's Business But Mine. And let's be real, one thing that makes the show possible is by selling sponsorships to advertisers. One way you can support us in getting more sponsors is by telling us a little bit more about yourself. You can do that by filling out a quick survey at the link in the show description. Plus, your answers are anonymous. They'll help us learn what you love most about the show and how to make it even better. The questions will ask you about the things that help advertisers understand the audience. It'll only take a few minutes, and it's an easy way to help the show. So you can find the link in the show description. Thank you so much, and stay tuned for the rest of the show. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. It's like a campsite up here. Something. I popped the question and she said yes, but... Christiana does not know that the big day is upon us and that right now we are heading to my mobile wedding chapel in the back of my truck. And I have no idea how she's going to do it. another episode of everyone's business but mine with me Kara Berry. I gotta admit you guys this week I was not feeling it. (laughs) I was not feeling doing an episode. Is that like a shitty thing to say? No because I feel like we all have things that we do that we usually love and then sometimes we just don't feel like doing it and it wasn't even like I didn't feel like doing it. I was just feeling like a little bit overwhelmed feeling like I had taken too much on And I just decided yesterday, I'm going to give myself a break. And even though I really like to have things ready, I don't prefer to record things on like the day before on Sunday, if I can help it. Um, I typically keep that for like just the intro and anything that's like super last minute, like current events that I feel like might render themselves to being you know, like recorded as up to the minute as possible. Um, and I did record the love after lockup recap yesterday, but after that I was like, you know what? I don't feel like it. So what I did is finally, after months of watching, finished the end, the series finale of Gossip Girl. I have no regrets. I 
think that like I'm not really a binge watcher and I don't know if you can really call it a binge watcher a watch if I've been watching it since like April or May <laughs> I don't think that really counts um but I really love that show when it first came out honestly it was like one of the first like the OC and Gossip Girl were like the first teen dramas or really any dramas really I don't really watch a lot of hour-long dramatic scripted television um I those were like the first shows that I really loved but I moved to New York around season five and I think I just like gave up on it and so watching like you know I think like I stopped maybe like the first third the first few episodes of season five. And then I just watched like the very end to find out who Gossip Girl was. So all of this, like most of season five and all of season six were like a real treat for me because I had never watched them before. I loved it. <laughs> I I loved it. I deserved to watch it. And I had such a good time. I mean, it's, I don't know what happened between like seasons one through four were like pretty solid. Season five was a complete shit show. I have this like working theory in my head that Elizabeth Hurley was responsible for the huge downfall of the show. I also, you know, I think all of us who watch television agree that when there is some sort of like additional family member brought on towards the end of a show, like I don't even know why shows do that because it's like a true jumping the shark moment is when you bring on like some sort of like long lost a, a child a cousin in this case cousin charlie into the show like it just seems like you guys don't have enough to go on so i didn't really love cousin charlie although she served a purpose um i find the actress like no shade to her but i find her the actress if people hate like vocal fry, I hate whatever it, you can call it that like a girl constantly sounds like she's got like, like she's losing her voice or something. Like it seems like a struggle for that actress to speak and it, she never like yells or anything, but it, she's like constantly breathless and on the verge of like bronchitis and like maybe she needs to go to like an ear, nose and throat doctor. I don't know. I don't know what would fix that, but she just sounded like she was always had a, a sore throat and it's not vocal fry. It's like she can't speak <laughs> like she's speaking the word, the lips are moving, but the voice isn't coming out. Um, I thought Elizabeth Hurley is a terrible actress. Like she's such a bad actress that I had to keep reminding myself that she's actually English and that her English accent is not fake. <laughs> like That's how bad she is. Um, what else? I, you know, in watching back, I think that, um, I'm just going to use her character names. Dan and Blair are probably the best actors on the show. I think that they had, even when they got together and it really made no sense, it kind of worked in the, just in the sense that like, they're genuinely good actors. And also it's like, they were the only couple, the pairing of Dan and Blair were the only couple that 
actually made sense in the sense that like they had things in common right like they both liked to read they both loved movies they both loved art and they were the only ones that were like oh okay this isn't just like Nate running into some girl on the street or Serena bumping into like some dude and then two episodes later they're saying I love you to each other at one point towards I think it was in season six what I don't remember who was oh it was Lily Lily's saying this to Serena that you don't have relationships you have life rafts and that was like the read of the whole series you did that Lily Lily um Rhodes Vander Woodson Bass Humphrey Bass you did that girl love that for you um what else do people care about this I care about it because I just watched it I fully cried at not only um Chuck and Blair's wedding, but also <laughs> I'm so lame. <laughs> and Dan and Serena. Dan and Serena don't make any sense, you guys. Like he just likes her because she's hot. Like they try to make it seem like Serena like has a party past and she's so complicated. And it's like, no, she doesn't. Even Dan mentioned it in in his expose of her. It's like he just she just like floats around in the world and it's like so easy for her to get you to fall in love with her. Like all you have to do is kiss her. Like that literally seems to be all it takes. And she's like totally into you, like all in. Ugh. She drives me crazy. Um, Chase Crawford. I don't really have any opinions on him. Nate is such a, an interesting character in that like he's just kind of dumb. <laughs> kind of just he's like the Schwartz like he's like the Tom Schwartz of Gossip Girl like he's kind of dumb he seems generally pretty nice none of his relationships are sensical like how is it how is it possible that in the whole series especially when the kids were in high school Serena was perpetually dating guys who were well much older than her and it was probably illegal. Like, when we get into the show, they're, like, 16, right? 15 or 16? She's constantly dating dudes in her, in their 20s, 30s, 40s. How is it possible that Nate dating that 17-year-old girl in season 5 and 6, who was the daughter of the guy from 7th Heaven, <laughs> who was also dating Serena, how is that the most upsetting, like, teen pairing? She was, why was Nate dating a 17-year-old girl? Why was that okay? And the only reason why his, her dad approved of it was because, was so, because Serena would walk her to school? What? <laughs> it's so fucked up. And I understand that 17 is the age of consent in New York. I googled it. But, what? Come on. Nate. Nathaniel. What else did I love? I loved the fact that I'm saying this ironically, that the fact that the only reason why Chuck and Blair ended up actually getting married was because <laughs> Chuck murdered his father. And if they got married, Blair wouldn't be forced to have to speak on his behalf or to make a statement. Like they just act like, and let's be real. Like if you don't help somebody from die dying, you it's kind of murder, right? Like, I don't know what the legality is, but it's like, 
you're sitting there watching somebody literally like hanging on the balance of life and death and you do nothing. (laughs) That feels a lot like murder. Maybe your hands aren't, maybe there's not blood on your hands, but kind of, right? <laughs> it just seems really weird that they just, I mean, I understand why they let Bart die. Like, it makes all the sense in the world, but to act like he didn't do anything. And, like, also, at one point where he, Chuck and Bart are having this conversation, Chuck is trying to, they're on the roof, Chuck is trying to record the conversation that they're having, Bart throws his phone throws Chuck's phone so how did nobody find Chuck's phone that he threw why did that not happen that seems like they're like oh they can't pin us to the location yeah you can your phone's on the roof what do you mean (laughs) how did nobody see a phone on the rooftop that doesn't make any sense to me um so yeah that's it I have no problem uh, both Blair and Serena's wedding dresses were absolutely hideous with Serena's being the worst the gold the like yellow gold dress what was she thinking what was she thinking and we all know that like Dan's abusive right like he's a shitty person a really shitty guy like why would you ever want to be married to him again it's because she's an idiot anyway let's move on (laughs) real houses of potomac just aired uh last night or tonight as i'm recording it i will be having a recap of the premiere out later the week this week but i just wanted to let you guys know because i hadn't announced it um part two of my mommy dearest series with Megan O'Donnell of Bravo Happy Hour came out last week. We did a an episode with Moni of Mixing with Moni talking about um, Candace and Dorothy from Potomac. So if you guys aren't aware, we are switching out every month. We're going to choose a mother-daughter Bravo Housewives um, <clears throat> coupling and talk about how dysfunctional they are and they'll be released like we're alternating whose feed they get released on so last month you heard the first episode that we did about Real Housewives of Dallas D&D Andrew Simmons so if you pop on over to the Bravo Happy Hour feed you will find the episode about Real Housewives of Potomac um, let us know what you guys want us to do next. We kind of had a little conversation about possibly doing um, the Manzos, talking about Caroline and and her children, but there's a wealth of dysfunctional relationships on Bravo and within the Housewives universe. So let us know which ones you guys would like for us to recap next. Okay, here's a topic that I wanted to talk about that I have been talking about relating to Ellen and her, uh, Ellen DeGeneres, her reputation in Hollywood and her reputation on her show with her staff and just with people in LA in general. The general theme being that she's a complete asshole (laughs) and a monster. So I had this whole conversation with myself and you guys about how she had been repeatedly having these issues pertaining to her bad reputation and 
how it's strange to me and maybe like a consequence or a benefit of coronavirus is the fact that like she doesn't have to necessarily address this directly on her show. The conversation that I had been talking about was really mostly about her reputation, but the things there've been like bombshell after bombshell last week that happened pertaining to her show, her showrunners, how her producers have been behaving and treating staff and really not a whole lot about her, but then kind of about her. So let me get through, I mean, there are so many articles, so I was able to kind of like cobble together, um, a timeline of what exactly happened. So it starts off with staffers got a memo, um, basically saying that there were going to be third party interviews, interviewing all the staff about their experiences on set. They're going to be talking to former staff members, current staff members, and to really like gauge an idea of what exactly the environment of the show was like. So to the reason why this happened is because Buzzfeed dropped a story that was, um, they interviewed like several, I want to say like maybe six or seven, uh, former and current staff members who all spoke on condition of anonymity. Um, the story talked about racist behavior, microaggressions. There were jokes about how two of the black staffers, two of the black employees had braids and like, oh my gosh, how are we going to be able to tell the difference between the two of you guys? Um, there were criticisms and statements allegedly made to other staffers by executive producer Ed Glavin. Um, Glavin is part of a team of producers, basically three executive producers, the other two being Andy Lasner and Mary Connolly, and they released a joint statement to BuzzFeed, um, just basically saying, like, it's not Ellen's fault, this is all our fault, Ed quit, or he was fired, I think that's murky. Since then, Ellen released a statement in a form of a letter to her staff, and I'm going to read that in full. Hey everybody, it's Ellen. On day one of our show, I told everyone in our first meeting that the Ellen DeGeneres show would be a place of happiness. No one would ever raise your voice and everyone would be treated with respect. Obviously something changed and I'm disappointed to learn that this has not been the case. And for that, I am sorry. Anyone who knows me knows that it's the opposite of what I believe and what I hope for our show. I could not have the success I've had without all of your contributions. My name is on the show and everything we do, and I take responsibility for that. Alongside Warner Brothers, we immediately began an internal investigation and we're taking steps together to correct the issues. As we've grown exponentially, I've not been able to stay on top of everything and relied on others to do their jobs as I knew they I'd, as they knew I'd want them to be done. Clearly some didn't. That will not change and I'm committed to ensuring that this does not happen again. I'm breaking here right now. Um, oh no, let, let me say this and then I'll say what I think. I'm also learning that people who work with me and for me are speaking on, beha- on my behalf and misrepresenting who I am and that has to stop. As someone who was judged and nearly lost everything for being just who I am, I truly understand and have a deep compassion for those who are being looked at differently or treated unfairly, not equal or worse, disregarded. 
to think that any one of you felt that way is awful to me. I think that this is like a shitty thing to say. To really pass the buck sucks. <laughs> it really sucks. I think that is such a... Like, I understand that when you build a brand, when you build a business, hopefully one of the great markers of success is that you can step away from it in the sense. You're the head of it, you're the face of it, but you have hired people to enact your vision, to behave and execute things the way you want them to, and that you're able to kind of live free. Like the, I've always been told like the marker of a good successful business is the ability to hire people to do things for you, basically like to be a delegator and to eventually like be able to have the freedom to maybe do a next project and whatever. And, you know, there are people set in place that will, you know, accomplish your goals, do those things for you. Right. but I think it's really shitty to say in this case, like I trusted, well, no, she didn't even say like I trusted people. It's like, you know, I've, I relied on people to do their jobs and she does like, she starts off saying like, my name is on the show and everything we do. And I take responsibility for that. But you know, I've not been able to stay on top of everything and I've relied on people to do their jobs and some didn't. And, you know, I I don't like that. I just think it's a real kind of like, I'm not responsible for this when really I feel like would this investigation have launched is if it was not for the rampant rumors of how Ellen treated people, how she treats people. Um, I don't know that this can of worms really would have been opened, you know, I, I think everything starts with you and especially like, yeah, you want to be in a position where people are executing your vision totally, but also when it's not done and things fall apart, I just think it's unfair to be like, I expected people to do things and they weren't done the way I wanted them to be done. There need to be check-ins in place. There needs to be due diligence. There, you should have people doing like the small things that you, you know, have grown out of doing, so to speak. But you also need to make sure like that people are maintaining the big picture. And to say like, What it feels like is that Ellen comes into work, she prepares, nobody's allowed to talk to her, she, you know, has this rule about people's breath and people get sent home if if their breath isn't how she, because her smell is so sensitive and, you know, she is an asshole in her own right and then she leaves And there's really no, like, you know, like, repeated training, all of that. Like, I just think, I just, I don't like the way she worded that at all. 
Okay. So let me go back to her statement. It's, it's been way too long, but we're finally having conversations about fairness and justice. We all have to be more mindful about the way our words and actions affect the others, and I'm glad the issues at our show were brought to my attention. I promise to do my part in continuing to push myself and everyone around me to learn and grow. It's important to me and to Warner Brothers that everyone who has something to say can speak up and feel safe doing so. I'm so proud of the work we do and the fun and joy we all help to put out in the world. I want everyone at home to love our show, and I want everyone who makes it to love working on it. Again, I'm so sorry to anyone who didn't have that experience. If not for COVID, I would have done this in person, and I can't wait to be back on our stage and see you all then. Stay safe and healthy. Love, Ellen. Now, Ellen, riddle me this. Why, when COVID happened and productions had to be shut down all over LA, why did you... A person who has plenty of money to be paying your staff fully until things come back. Why did you give these people like a reduced pay? Why did you hire outside film crews to come to your home and set up like all the cameras and stuff? Why did you not use the people who had been working for you since you know, not day one necessarily, but, you know, had been working with you originally at the time before everything shut down. Why did that happen? I've heard that since then, people did get back up to full pay, but I mean, the idea was to not do that. And I think the only reason why these people, why the crew got paid fully is because it came out that they were getting fucked over. Um, you know, these are the questions I have for you. I don't know. I, I, why, when, if you want to talk about, um, I have deep compassion for those being looked at differently or treated unfairly or equal or worse, not equal or worse disregarded. Um, we all have to be more mindful about the way our words and actions affect others. And I'm glad that the issues that our show are brought to my attention why, when people roasted the hell out of you for sitting to George, next to George Bush at a Dallas Cowboys game, did you say, like, as somebody who, like, if you did not have the wealth and access and power that you have, as a woman, a lesbian, somebody part of the LGBT community, why would you sit next to somebody who was very adamant about taking those, you know, freedoms and powers away from the community that you belong to. How can you how can you say that like we need to have compassion for him and we all just need to love each other when he does not love that community back? The community that you belong to and even if you didn't, he has done horrible things to a lot of communities of people. Like how can you sit there and like chastise people and you're like, uh, what, look at me. Oh gosh. Kind of way to tell people to have like love and respect for this man. Like, come on, have some perspective of the fact that like, if you weren't Ellen DeGeneres, he probably wouldn't be fucking with you either. Like really? Ugh, it really grosses me out. Anyway. So since then, since she sent that memo, um, 
that producer, Ed Glavin, exited his role imminently. Um, like I said, I'm not sure if he was fired or if he decided to leave on his own. So then, dozens of former employees from the Ellen DeGeneres show have spoken out about several alleged incidents of sexual misconduct and harassment by top executives on the show. This was another bombshell uh, report by BuzzFeed. This came out on Thursday night. Several ex-staffers, all speaking anonymously, accused ex-executive producer Kevin Lehman behaving Excuse me. (laughs) Let me start over. Several ex-staffers, all speaking anonymously, accused executive producer Kevin Lehman of behaving inappropriately at a company party in 2013 and in May of 2017. Almost a dozen former workers said that Lehman would make sexually explicit comments in the office regularly, frequently toward lower level and younger employees. One ex-employee said head writer and um, you know, Kevin asked him if he could give him a hand job or perform oral sex in a bathroom at a company party in 2013. Um, another said that they separately saw Lehman grab a production assistant's penis. Uh, in May 2017, another former employee also said that he saw Kevin Lehman grow up a production assistant in a car and kiss his neck. So these are former employees range from longtime senior level employees to production assistants. They also said it was common for Kevin Lehman to make sexually explicit comments in the office, like pointing out male colleagues bulges in their crotches or asking questions like, are you a top or a bottom? These acts seem to have mostly been done, like I said, in the office, in front of people, in a way that, like, in one way you could say, like, he was trying to be, like, he was kind of, like, hiding in plain sight, doing this in front of people, so it was sort of like, oh, that's just the way Kevin is, or like, oh, he's being sarcastic, like, blah, 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 but, you know, given his position of power, it's like... when he did it to lower level or younger employees, knowing that factor, it's like, okay, he obviously knew that he was going to get away with this. Like, there's a sense of intimidation. There's a, you know, like a a hierarchy of power here of like, oh, I'm just going to take this on the chin and laugh along with people and not say anything and all of these claims in the, um, in the, uh, article had been, you know, because he had did this in plain sight of other people that a lot of people corroborated every statement that had been said, every single one. And I think that's really shitty. So Kevin released a statement and said, I started at the Ellen show as a PA more than 17 years ago and have devoted my career and to work my way to the position. I now hold while my job as a head writer is come up is to come up with jokes. And during that process, we can occasionally push the envelope. I'm horrified that some of my attempts at humor have caused offense. I've always aimed to treat everyone on the staff with kindness, inclusivity, and respect. My whole time on the show, to my knowledge, I've never had a single HR or interpersonal complaint about me. And I'm devastated beyond belief that this is kind of malicious and misleading article could be published. So, classic tactic, right? Like, nobody said anything before. So, now that it's coming out, I'm being attacked. 
right? This is misleading. I just joke around. I am a writer. I, my job is to make jokes. And so maybe I just went too far. Maybe I offended you, but like, I'm a joke man, right? I'm Mr. Writer man, right? Maybe you didn't get my joke. And to say that you were offended is a malicious attack against me. Because you didn't report it to HR at the time. (laughs) Fuck off. (laughs) Seriously. Uh, So it goes on. I mean, why he would say, oh, really chaps my ass. Um, So then there have been rumors coming out of page six, a, you know, publication who has varying degrees of reliability (laughs) says that Ellen has been thinking about quitting the show. She feels like she can't go on. And the only way to recover her personal brand from this is to shut down the show. This came out on Friday. The truth is that she knew what was going on. It's her show. The buck stops with her. She can blame everyone, every executive under the sun, but Ellen is ultimately the one to blame. That I wonder is maybe, did it come from Kevin? (laughs) Which, which producer, which employee who's pissed off at Ellen gave that statement? Who was the source? That's what I want to know. Because that reads like somebody who is like an insider for real, right? So then, you know, problematic things aside, probably the worst news of all, (laughs) allegedly, um, there are insiders that are claiming that James Corden is, has been long seen as like the eventually successor to Ellen for her show even pre-scandal, and only more so now. So you're telling me that we have to deal with this man on daytime. And, like, I don't watch daytime talk shows, really. Not, Not too much. But, like, James Corden, you're telling me that we have a huge diversity problem when it comes to talk shows with the fact that like basically every man every person who is a talk show host has been a white guy what is the deal like i need to understand like what is the deal with this like why are talk show hosts is like hallowed hall of people and oh we're going to bring up so-and-so from one show and bring him to the Tonight Show and this other white guy can take over for David Letterman. The other white guy can take over for the other one. Now he gets to be on at 11.30 instead of 12.30 and who gives a... Why do we care? Why... Who's setting this precedent that, like, this matters so much? Like, bring up whoever. When we had this, like, whole thing about, like, oh my god... Who's going to be the next host of The Daily Show? How is anybody going to take Jon Stewart's place? Who is, who's going to be the one? Who's going to be the lucky boy to take over as host of The Daily Show? It's like, what, why, why is it seen as this, like, Friars Club, this, like, tight fraternity of mostly white guys 
the why do we make this so important? Why is it such a like maybe it was such a thing like back in like the era of Johnny Carson and Ed McMahon? Like, okay, there were a lot less television shows. There was they were huge landmark shows of the time and like Oh, you know, your grandparents and your parents went to bed listening to Johnny Carson. And, oh, my God, this was so great. Like, he's an institution. Who could possibly replace this man making corny fucking jokes about current events? And who's going to replace that big chin Jay Leno? Oh, my God. Only three people could possibly be qualified to do this. Like, (laughs) why are we doing this? Why why is this such a thing? I need answers. Because it seems really frivolous and stupid to me. Ugh. Anyway, so is there anything else that I wanted to add or finish with? Oh, okay, yeah. So there was some tea that um, an article put out about how Ellen likes to be complimented by the... Um, guests that come on her show. So there were two, there was, okay, so there were two, they were told that producers insisted that guests fawn over DeGeneres on air. Two guests who asked not to be named told page six that while being prepped for their interview, producers demanded that they stroke Ellen's ego. Compliment Ellen, tell her what a big fan you are. Of the appearance three years ago, one of the former guests said, these guests were already fans of Ellen, big fans, but be, to be told that you have to flatter her was really weird. You shouldn't have to be told. And if you do look at past interviews, most of the guests always gush over Ellen, whether they're members of the public or her close friends. Now, I will agree. I, you know, from what I remember of watching Ellen, like, people do go on there and they're like, oh, I love you so much. Like, you're so kind. I can't believe, you know, benevolent queen, you know, Rosie O'Donnell could never, like, (laughs) whatever, like, they do really compliment her, and I think that's such a weird thing to do, now thinking about it, like, yeah, okay, she, you know, she gave a $10,000 check on behalf of, like, that photography company to the latest little black kid that went viral on YouTube, he does a little dance, um, Rosie and Grace and Sophia or whatever the fuck their names were like, oh, look at her. She could rap to Nicki Minaj. Let's give her $15,000. Like, oh, <laughs> you know, like queen, queen of, of donations, queen of big checks. Like great for you. Great for you. And that is great. Like these kids are given an opportunity a lot of times that like they never would normally. That is actually really nice. But it's also like, <sighs> my mom always said like, People, you don't need to be congratulated for doing things that you should be doing anyway, right? Like, Ellen is a multi-multi-millionaire. She's a huge platform. Like, she should be giving to people. Like, this shouldn't be this, like, thing that is exclusive to Ellen DeGeneres, you know? You know? (sighs) Is there anything positive that I can talk about? Seems like Kim and Kanye might be headed toward divorce, so that's... That's chill. Yeah. I'm going to dive more into my self-care. And I'm going to end with you guys today. I'll be back. Okay, of course I lied to you. I'm so sorry. But I'm back with one more thing that I just need to talk about. It's been weighing heavily on my spirit. 
And this is for the Housewives fans, you guys. This is specifically for fans of Real Housewives of New York. I'm going to be going through some talking points here. And I don't know if, like, maybe you need to take a deep breath. Maybe you need to walk around the block with your mask on. Do some stretches. Um, I'm going to say something that I think is going to change the face of Housewives of New York forever. But I think it's for the best. We need to get rid of Ramona Singer. This is something that I've been struggling with all season. I have been ruminating on it. I have been thinking like, what is the real problem with the season? And many people completely fair will say that you know Dorinda going in on Tinsley was a dark moment she continues to do so um it's very unnecessary and nasty however Tinsley's gone and what do we have here Ramona reigning supreme purely in my opinion just because she's like the only OG on the show, the only housewife that has been on the show since season one without having been um, demoted or anything like Luann. Um, now that Bethany is gone, I think it seems like there had to have been like Ramona is the de facto queen of, of Roni. This would never have happened if Bethany had stayed. And I'm just going to say that. I think that Ramona, for me, has always been integral to the Housewives, but she's never been like a main player, um, like a bombastic personality. Like she's definitely had her moments, don't get me wrong, but she's never been like a top housewife for me. And that's just my opinion. But I think now that she's like the queen bee, so to speak, I'm not liking, I'm not liking it. I do not love it. I think that she's a gross person at her core. I think that she is developing, has developed over the past couple of years and is developing as we speak into a more deplorable human being. Yes, I mean that in the MAGA way, but also just at her core, like I just don't like her. And here's something that I struggle with, right? Like as Housewives fans... And as fans, as, as fans of people in reality, what do you, you know what I mean? As fans of reality TV, <laughs> we have to have a lot of blinders on, right? Particularly when it comes to the housewives, because I would imagine that most of the people that listen to this podcast for sure, and most of the um, Bravo podcasters people who talk about it on social media have the bravo instagram accounts twitters what have you lean generally in the left you know and to be a fan of the housewives is to have big blinders on in terms of where the housewives lean politically uh, especially when you're talking about new york and orange county right um, you know, we all remember that very awkward reunion where Andy asked all the women who they voted for. And it was like Bethany and Carol, I think, and Dorinda said that they voted for Hillary and then everybody else was silent, 
whether it be because they didn't vote, like I think Sonia probably did, and probably even maybe Luann, but it was very clear that Ramona voted for Trump. Um, and it's very clear that that's where her alliances lie today. She, have you guys seen, has been seen around the Hamptons, um, cavorting around with this man. I think his name is Andrew Catapano, I think might be his last name. His Instagram is chock full of, you know, Trump Pence, uh, flags in his home, you know, um, COVID denying memes, um, black on black crime, that sort of thing. Like, you know where I'm going with this, right? She has been liking all of his posts that lean in that direction. Um, so it's very clear. It's very clear where she lies. Okay. And so to get back to the point of like, in this day and age, what is our responsibility as viewers? I struggle with this because I don't want people to take it the wrong way. And I, you know, I personally would love a world in which any Trump supporter is deplatformed, doesn't have a major voice to speak, yada, yada, yada. Is that fair in the country of free speech that we live in? No, technically it isn't. Um, is it fair to have, I mean, and honestly, if we had to take every housewife off that was a Republican or a Trump supporter, we wouldn't really have very many franchises. And is it fair to say that we can't consume these people, these women acting wacky because of their political alliances? I don't know. Is that something that we need to think about? I'm not sure. But with that being said, like, I'm just going to focus on Ramona because I think she's like a particular brand of awful that political leanings aside, like, she just fucking sucks. And I am going to be getting into the political stuff, but for the most part, she's just like rotten. So let me start with reason one. And I'm going hard here. Reason one is going to be Avery. (laughs) I imagine that most people have seen the article that came out on page six about Avery basically um, throwing a fit at the FedEx. It was on page six. Um, Trying to use page six as her personal moving company. She and one of her friends slash, I guess, roommate, they live in, you're used to live in the West Village, brought a bunch of like clear moving boxes over to their local FedEx um, office, whatever you call it, store. And, According to, there were different sources saying very different things, right? One source said that she was basically trying to use them as her moving service. They didn't have the boxes to accommodate her. She had a shit fit and left her boxes there for the staff to deal with. And another source says that Basically, she has like a business account with them and that she that she has like a a good relationship with that office or that store. Everything was fine. They were apologetic about not being able like the main question being like, do do people think that using FedEx is a normal way to like move? 
of course not. <laughs> like, of course not. The assumption being that, like, probably either Mario or Ramona had a business account. She didn't want to pay for a real moving company. And so she tried to, like, use the fact that she has a business account to, like, move her stuff, right? Even though she can more than afford, even without mommy and daddy's money, Avery has a very good job in finance. And a 25-year-old living in the West Village can more than afford having a moving truck, okay? Um, number two, I really didn't like Avery's involvement. And I'm going to say, like, sure, we can have, you know, there are all these conversations about, like, don't talk about the kids, they're off limits, blah, 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 the family's off limits because they're not on the show, whatever. But Avery has been on the show. Avery's a whole ass adult and Avery is inserting herself into the drama on her own. So to say that we can't have a response or uh, an opinion about what she does is like, I think at this point unfair because she has gotten into um, tiffs about Leah and like how disgusting she is and posting on IG stories about like, oh, I can't believe you guys, mom, I can't believe you hang out with these people. They're so nasty. They're basically like kind of slut shaming Leah and Leah retaliated. And I think good for you. Good, good for you, girl. Because as Leah pointed out, she's closer in age to Avery than she is to her mother. So if you want to talk, I'm going to talk back. I think it's very clear that like Avery and Arona are cut from the same cloth. They were, living their best lives down in Florida, getting COVID, acting like they didn't have it, partying. And like, yes, I understand that Florida was opening up, but we also know that Florida is now a hellscape of cases. And we all have to be responsible, you guys. Even if the government is telling us you can go as you please and do what you want. And we're in phase two, three, four. Like we all have to do our due diligence as human beings because this government, frankly, is not to be trusted. But that's, you know, another story for another day. Let me move on to reason two. Reason two for me. Uh, the last episode. Her behavior horrible. The fact that she walked into that um, estate that they were staying in, saw the, the staff that was on hand, gleefully called them servants, talking about, oh, I've never seen so many people to help me and blah, blah, blah. Like, ma'am, how dare you? The fact that you would think that it would come out of your, in your brain, pop in your brain and come out of your mouth to call these people servants as if you're in fucking Downton Abbey. And I don't even think they did. Um, the fact that she doesn't know that that is like completely day class A to use her term is awful, awful, terrible. Her behavior for the past few episodes has been disgusting vile that moves into number three is her treatment of Leah because that's most of the reason why she is coming off really bad to me um Dorinda had this conversation with Leah last episode and said you know what 
Um, you guys have a lot of common, you're both beautiful, you, you know, have money, blah, 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 you're women about town, but the one thing that you can't, that Ramona has, can't get on you is the fact that you're that much older than her. You're basically half her age. And I think she was on to something with that because obviously Ramona has extreme issues with youth, being ageless, renewing every inch of her body what have you, but I think, and like, maybe the argument could be made that like, like if we want to look back in our, in our mind's eye and think about how often Bethany would just scream and rant and rave at Luann in a way that to me, this is my working theory, that like, there's something about Luann that triggered Bethany in the sense that like, I think Luann must have been a lot like her mom. And so when she goes off on Leanne, Leanne, Luann, it's like otherworldly. She goes in on her. She practically hyperventilates. She, you know, like needs a breathing apparatus after she get like calls her a slut, just like really rails in and, and like sinks her teeth into Luann in a way. And I think I see similarities in the way that Ramona treats Leah and not that she's as nasty as Bethany got with Lou, but just something about her is triggering. And so maybe like in a sense, because she's so much younger that she kind of sees Leah as like a daughter and that she's like her mother figure in a way. Sure. I think that could be a little bit of it, but I also think that like She, Ramona has painted herself into a corner. She's painted herself into a corner or for some reason it's like very important to her that she gets in with like the upper echelon of these like upper east side Botoxed, like tight faced, hot curling iron ladies, like even like hot roller ladies, the ladies who lunch, like it's something that she seems to really aspire to in a way that I find very confusing and weird at 63, almost 64, that you would be so hyper-focused on being like the, not even the cool girl, because what is cool about these weird ass women? Like, I don't know, but like something about the status of it, is strange to her something about the fact that she like attempts to attach herself to any like small dicked republican dude who ultimately probably wants nothing to do with her it's very weird i don't like it and she's painted herself into this corner where like she sees Leah being free, fun, sexy, flirty, doing what she wants, and it enrages her because she knows that she will never be able to be herself ever again. Not if she's getting to wherever the hell she wants to go, which seems to be lower and lower in the depths of hell. <laughs> and I think that's really what pisses her off is that like Leah can do whatever the fuck she wants. Leah has time to live her life and to find a man. Leah could probably have every single dude that Ramona hits on. Because, let's be real, those dudes probably want women her age or younger. Right? (laughs) Like, 
most men, like the ones that Ramona is attracted to, don't really want women her age. Even if they look great, even if they've got like tight little bodies, even if, you know, their pussy lips have been Botox to hell and they've gotten vaginal rejuvenation to be tight like a 25 year old. That doesn't matter. They want a woman who's like 35 on their arm. They don't care. I think that pisses her off too. So to see like Leah dancing, not even that sexily at her party. And for her to just go off to threaten to quit the show. Okay, bye, weirdo. That was the weirdest party I've ever seen in my life. Like my friend Shara said, it was like a middle school dance with like the lights were so bright. And I know that it was like, well, I mean, I can't even really say that that was really for the show because we've seen these people have parties in dark places and, and the lighting is just fine. It was truly like a cafeteria party. And I'm going to get more into that party later. Also, I think it is absolutely bone chilling that Ramona can completely shut down anytime somebody like comes at her the way Dorinda did at the Halloween party, which, you know, up to you whether or not you think that was really gross of Dorinda. I personally think it was fucking hilarious. But the way Leah came to her at um, Luann's, like, spa day for the uh, recently incarcerated women, they go in on her, and the delivery might not be right, but the message is true. And Ramona completely shuts down as if she can't hear them, she can't see them, like, nothing. I think it's so fucking weird. I don't know what she thinks she's doing, but she's not doing that for me. It's weird. It's really weird. And it's creepy. Kelly Ben-Simone. You're being creepy? Being weird. Um, four. I think her treatment of Sonia, tactical. Completely. I think Sonia has something that... Ramona will never have and we can have this conversation all day about whether or not she needs to get rid of the Morgan whatever the reputation and talk about you know in her past and whatever but at the end of the day Sonia is always going to have access to that world whether she wants to or not she's the one who had those girlfriends first and I know people think that that's like so weird that Sony keeps harping on, but I think she's trying to say, like, I'm in this world that you, Ramona, could have only hoped to be in, and you treat me like I'm your kid sister. Like, Sonia is Anna Nicole Smith, and Ramona is Howard K. Stern, her old lawyer. Like, she keeps her around because she serves a purpose and she has that status. And, but also it's like, Sonia's a hot mess. Like her nipple showing at any given moment. She gets naked wasted. She is a sloppy jalopy for sure. But Ramona keeps her around because she will always have that like pedigree, that Morgan name, 
a name that like you couldn't pay to get into in New York society. She's in the blue book, you guys. She's in the blue book. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Wow. Nice. Yeah. What you're hearing are the sounds of people everywhere putting on Bombas socks, underwear, and T-shirts made from absurdly soft materials that feel like plush clouds. Yeah, that plush. And the best part? For every item you purchase, Bombas donates another to someone facing homelessness. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST. Code ACAST. So she keeps Sonia around and she, you know, like everybody was saying, like, why is it that Leah bothers Ramona so much, but then Sonia can do whatever the fuck she wants. And I don't think it's because they have this like long history friendship. I think it's because she knows that like I can get in to the in crowd with Sonia, but I'll always look better than her. And that's fucked up. That's really fucked up. Fifth and last, I want to go into the sign at her party. (laughs) The, um, everyone goes to Ramona's living room that was posted as a banner at the bar. What the fuck was that? (laughs) She really tried to make fetch happen and it didn't work. Like, this is a reference to your Hamptons house and how your parties, everybody ends up going into the living room as if she invented the living room as a social space for parties what you're not even at your house bitch what are you talking this isn't like it wasn't even like recreated to be Ramona's living room was it I hope not the weird white and red motif and secondly the fact that she made her 50 girlfriends Contribute a hundred dollars so she could get a fucking Gucci or whatever purse. Ew. Ew. (laughs) That is so fucking tacky. I have never in my life. Yeah, if you guys want to pull in on a gift, like, it's not at the behest of the host. This is something that the guests come up with on their own. This isn't something that you request of your friends. I'll be damned. Is there a chapter in Countess Luann's book about this? Because I will be damned. And I can't believe it took until after the party for us to find out. Because that was one of the most shocking bombshells <laughs> that I have heard on New York in a long time. Probably since Luann got arrested. And we saw the, the tape of her saying that she's going to fucking kill one of the cops. I... It's going to keep me up at night for many months to come. I could not believe that is so fucking tacky. And with that, I'm going to go, you guys. Okay. Stay tuned for a Love After Lockup recap. Um, I'll join you later this week. Peace out, y'all. 
All right, let's get started with Love After Lockup. This episode was, you know, it was fine. It's like an average. wasn't too messy, but it was still pretty messy. <laughs> so let's let's talk about it, y'all. Um, we're gonna start with our new couple, Shonda, twenty-eight years old, in jail for three years for conspiracy to distribute meth, and Tyrese, a forty-nine-year-old engineer. We begin with Tyrese writing about a, a list of things that he needs and brushing his teeth with a box of baking soda and like the most basic flat white, like the very first plastic toothbrush. That was him. Not, not a, not a wave of a bristle, not the tongue scraper on the back, dollar store, not even really dollar store, but like, like the real basic real basic ones that they give you like the hotel <laughs> those those toothbrushes he's letting us know this is why i'm bringing up the toothbrush tyrese is letting us know that he is known as a commodity and it's because he's financially secure and because of that people think that he's a player but really he's very romantic and loves to cuddle and take walks out on the park and he likes a woman who's very loving and caring and has a nice ass which is why he is with an inmate who is in jail for selling meth it's very clear from the picture of Shonda um just which attributes that I've just listed that he seems to have placed a precedent on we'll just say that um, they met because he was just innocently looking at his phone at work and what do you know, up popped an ad that said, meet female inmates. I'm sure that he was you know, surfing the web for, you know, a nice like crock pot recipe or Bible verses and not, you know, something with a very particular sexual fetish of his that would have this pop up come, but you know, whatever. Anyway, he... Scrolled and scrolled and scrolled and happened to find Shonda. He has visited her in prison and he thinks that they're meant to be. He leads us up to, in his apartment, a, like a Michaels, probably something he got from a Michaels or maybe like a, a Kroger, one of those like kind of collage photo albums that you hang up on the wall. It's four pictures of them you know, in various prom poses in front of, you know, the prison wall. Oh, Lord, he... <laughs> Can't believe I have to say this. <laughs> he looks at the pictures and says, look at that motherfucking ass. That's a big old ass. She's mother so motherfucking pretty. He leaves a kiss on one of the photos and he drives off in his white leather fat farm jacket. He has three children. Three, what look to be adult or very close to adult age children. And he's worried what they're going to think. Yeah, you think? <laughs> he and Shonda have been together for two months, but he truly thinks that this is destiny. The last scene we get of him is he is going to a store called the Curvy Cutie Boutique. Curvy spelled K-E, no, excuse me, <laughs> C-U-R-V-E-E. -E. Curvy Cutie Boutique with his friend Tangi. They've been friends for about a decade, and I don't know why, because he seems to think that Tangi is just like a hater. She never likes any of his girlfriends, any of the women he chooses, and he thinks that she's just jealous. 
Tangie lets us know that she thinks he's an idiot. And the fact that he's spending $600 at the Curvy Cutie Boutique for his, uh, you know, new girlfriend with a fat ass, um, she thinks it's really stupid. So they have a really great friendship, not toxic at all. Um, love a man who just thinks that a woman who judges his choices is just jealous of the woman that's in his life. Love that. Love that. That was really the end. He is, <laughs> he seems to be like one of those dudes who's like, I'm just a nice guy and like, I've got everything together and like, so I deserve like a f- certain pedigree of woman. And I'm not saying that, like, inmates are beneath anybody, but I feel like it's very weird to say that you're a commodity and that women try to take advantage of you because you're financially stable, but then also you're giving money to a woman. And it really just seems like you love her because she's got a fat ass. I mean, honestly, (laughs) but whatever. We'll see how this goes. It's going to be true disaster. Uh, Let's go to Maurice and Jessica. So Maurice is out of jail. He was in jail in Northern California, but he's from Compton, like south of LA. And Jessica lives in Vegas. He's on the phone with his aunt, like, oh man, like I'm so happy to be out. Like, I can't believe you can hear my voice, blah, blah, blah. My bitch lives out in Vegas and I got a report to parole in LA and I'm thinking about just going straight to Vegas you know, even though I've been in jail for seven years and I know damn well that if I don't report to my parole officer, I'm going to go right back. <laughs> Dummy. <laughs> she, her, his aunt was like, sir, your uncle did the same thing and he went back to jail. So maybe you want to rethink that? And he's like, yeah, you're probably right. So, <laughs> so <laughs> Maurice seems like, like he would be a nightmare to date nothing about him is attractive to like he's a good looking guy but like nothing about him is attractive to me but i think he's probably gonna be funny and i'm i'm enjoying what i'm seeing so far they get to so they have to report back i guess to go back to la the next day they get to the house that she rented on like a goat farm it was like a like a guest house on a goat farm or something i don't know it actually looked pretty cool but he is like, Yo, I got to go to the bathroom for real. And he goes to the bathroom and you can hear him <laughs> say, Yo, y'all got real toilet paper, like Charmin. Like, I, like he's loving his life. His booty hole is getting like the five star treatment right now compared to whatever government grade toilet paper he probably gets in jail. Oh, he cannot believe his luck. He... Leaves the bathroom after taking a gigantic dump and is like, baby, let's get to knocking boots. What are y'all doing? Pointing to like the camera people like, are y'all trying to go? Because I'm trying to like get laid here. <laughs> like you guys can do whatever you want. We'll just be here and, you know, go on about your business. Don't worry about us. So they go to the bathroom and their bedroom rather and they're cuddling in the bed and he's whispering sweet nothings in your ear like baby I saved up for two months for you like I haven't touched myself thank you (laughs) thanks thanks Maurice um 
he they close the door and there's just a lot of a lot of this a lot of that we can hear um a lot of I'm I'm going to put a son in you he says he's trying to have babies with a z I don't know what that means um they <laughs> I have to stop there. <laughs> oh lord we can hear Jessica say that that was great um sounded like a good 35 seconds of hard pounding and two months of his savings deposit being ejected into her, into her. We'll just say that. (laughs) And the next day they have to go down South to Southern California. Maurice has never ridden on a plane before. They have him filming a scene like, kind of close to the tarmac he's like i've never seen anything like this before in my life like i've never seen a plane take off (laughs) you can see like a southwest plane going off into the air and he's like i don't do this shit like i'm a young black man i'm afraid of flying snakes rats roaches everything i have never done something like this they hop on the flight and He's like, so this is a plane, huh? <laughs> and uh, they're ready to go. Ready to go. Going, going back, back to Cali Cali. And I love that for him. Maurice is absolutely going to ruin Jessica's life. But like, just in the meantime, like, I, I just love where we're going with this. Let's go to Chevelle and Quaylon. So they're, Quaylon's mom and Chevelle are now in the hotel. They're, you know, going to be as close as possible to his prison so they can pick him up the next day so they had an argument not really just like a heated discussion i would say in the car because they were both told by quaylon that he was going to be staying with one of them and chevelle thought that they would be staying in uh kansas city together where he lives and his mom thought that he was going to be going back to houston with her his mom is very insistent that she go back. He go back to Houston because he got in trouble in Kansas City. That's the city where he was imprisoned, and she just really wants to take away any possible op- obstacle for him to have to go back. She's like, I have not seen my boy in twelve years. She tells a very sad story about how it was her birthday and she knew something was wrong because he didn't come to see her. And it had been like all that day and she's like, I hadn't heard from him. I hadn't nothing. I just knew something was wrong. So she called and called and was able to locate him at the hospital, found out that he had been shot. And immediately after getting released from the hospital, he uh, went to jail. She's like the last semi-normal situation that I've seen him in was in he, he was laid up in the hospital bed after having been shot. And that was 2007 crazy right like that's very sad so it really paints a picture of like i mean of course she doesn't want no no mother wants to see their child in jail no especially for 12 years compounded the fact that he was 16 at the time and it's just such a high adrenaline situation where you're like i thought my kid is missing i find him And then I really never see him in a normal situation. Like, that is crazy. So it makes all the sense in the world that she's like, I am going to 
so, okay so they have a conversation and Quaylon's mom comes to the room and is like you know what I'm really sorry for that argument that we had but I was really under the impression that he was going to be going to Houston with me I moved my whole family down there so he could be safer I'm going to do whatever it takes to keep him out of jail like anything I have to do I'm going to do it and it's no offense to you you know, typically we see these moms and, and girlfriends go at each other. She's like, it, it has nothing to do with you. You seem like a nice girl, but like, this is my son and I am deeply invested in him having a normal life. And Chevelle's like, yeah, I completely understand. And her, his mom is also like, you know, again, not about you, but I just think that like both of you need to consider the fact that he has not been in the real world in 12 years the world is very different he's going from the last time being in the real world a teenager and now he's almost 30 and he's institutionalized he's his brain is different now and it's going to take him a while to adjust to the real world and adjust out of the prison system. And I just think that it's maybe not the best idea for him to like go immediately into having this family. Like you've got a young daughter and I just think that that is like marriage and kids. And I just think that that's going to be too much for him. I love Quaylon's mom. I think she is hitting every point exactly. And it got to the point where like Chevelle just started crying because then Quaylam's mom said like, he actually told me that like, not just that he was going to Houston, but that you and your child were moving down there with him. And Quaylam's like, I no, <laughs> like this is truly the first time I heard that. I had no intention of moving down to Houston or thinking that he was going to move down. She starts to cry and it's, tears because I think she realizes that she not like fucked up but like just that the reality of the situation is hitting her like her mom's been trying to tell her but I think now it really got to her like oh like you're really making good points it's not just my mom telling me like you know I hope that you're making the right choices like her mom his mom is making very good points of like I really don't know who this guy is and you're right like he is going to it is going to take him a time to adjust to the real world and he might not be ready it's not just like oh I'm your mom and I don't trust him it's like you know like mentally he's probably not going to be there um so she cries and she's like, you know what? I'm a mother too. I fully understand how you would want to be with your kid and how you would never want your child to be in jail. And she's, it, it's hitting her. And I felt really bad for her. Love After Lockup is an interesting show because it really is like messy and funny and dramatic and all of those things. And it's trashy. But like there are times where you really get a realistic glimpse of like how the prison system really fucks people up and the effects it has on their family and this is like a really great example of that it's not just like a dumb guy who's being taken for a ride 
giving this money to a like being a trick basically you know and this is one of the storylines i don't think that things are gonna go well but i I, i'm just rooting for quailon and i'm rooting for his mother and i'm rooting for chevelle to find somebody else because she deserves that it's not gonna be quailon but somebody else okay let's move on to sean and destiny so as we remember sean and destiny have never met face to face because destiny um said like oh i gained some weight so i don't really want you to see me sean has given her tens of thousands of thousands of dollars between the phone calls and putting money on her books getting her five thousand dollars for to bail out um and his whole family and friends co-workers think this is so stupid and she's probably catfishing him yada 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 so sean gets sent to the jail i could not believe my eyes and not, not in the jail he, he gets to the hotel room sean pulls out a hot plate and a pan and one of those like I didn't even know they made these but apparently they put meat in tubes like those you know like those tubes that they put like pre-made cookies in like a tube like that he's just squeezing raw meat out of the tube and into the pan he pulls out one of those like taco shell taco holders is like little like v-shaped things where you can hold a taco in he's making tacos he's making a gordita actually a, a soft shell and a with a hard shell on the inside and some meat and cheese and he's letting us know that destiny said that she's been really craving some tacos and so that's what he's going to be making for his baby okay making some tacos in a hot plate in a motel room when probably would have just been a lot less money to go to Taco Bell. I mean, Taco Bell really is like the Mexican food equivalent of a motel room taco, you know? So just let the, let the professionals do what they do, you know? He then makes the four tacos and puts them in a duffel bag. <laughs> wrong with this man <laughs> oh my god oh my god so sean on the way to the <laughs> he put him in a duffel bag okay sean goes to the jail goes outside the jail to wait for destiny his destiny and he says that he's really concerned they're not there's not going to be attraction um between them but like dog you might as well just fake it at this point you've already spent 40 racks on her you're you you've invested in this attraction you just do it okay just do it because she what what do you you've already put yourself in a position dog like what if you guys break up and she's like oh fuck you i'm not gonna go to my my court date now and now you're gonna be owing the bail bondsman forty five thousand dollars so you better get to being attracted, sir. Um, when he gets outside the jail, he's waiting for her and he gets a call from Destiny 
And she's like, oh my God, like I'm about to have a heart attack. And he's like, what's wrong? And then she just click hangs up. He's like, she never hangs up on me. So I don't know what the problem is what's going on and fortunately for him destiny actually does get out of jail because i was thinking that she was going to be like oh they told me that i have to stay here for another month or whatever um she comes out of jail she's got a whole bag full of books that i guess he had given her and honestly like she was cute like for as much as we were hyped up to believe that she was going to be like drastically different compared to what we saw seen in pictures of her like she was fine she was totally fine sean excuse me is acting like she's a whale he's like you know what she i I just had this picture of her like a literal picture of her not the picture in my mind a literal picture of her and i was just kind of like expecting to see that person beneath us i can tell from her facial expressions (laughs) like she's fucking job of the hut this woman maybe weighs like 130 pounds he's acting like oh through all this blubber on her face i can tell that it's still her and usually i'm attracted to like very thin women but i'll make an exception oh will you sean will you sean Oh, thank you. Thank you so much for for gathering the strength to be with a woman who's above 95 pounds. Thank you. Size inclusivity, Sean. Um, that's really all that we see of them, right? Yeah, I think that's all that we see of them. Flexibility is great. That's why there's yoga. Flexibility for your insurance coverage is great, too. That's why there's United Healthcare Insurance Plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, United Healthcare Insurance Plans offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. One of these plans may be right for you if you're, say, between jobs, coming off your parents' plan, turning a side hustle into a full hustle, or even missed open enrollment. Want more flexibility? Find out more about United Healthcare Insurance Plans at uh1.com. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. So let's move to our last couple, probably the top couple of the season, John and Christiana. Oh, no, no. Let's go to Lindsay and Scott. So we see Scott. um, He goes to a restaurant and he's ordering two steaks to go and and your finest champagne, please. Um, Lindsay, we hear, wants a good meal for when she gets out of jail. And he's like, well, what better? meal than steak day old steak because she's not coming back until either like much later that night or the next day yum he says that he reckons he spent about 15 20 dollars and producers ask him like do you think that Lindsay is under the impression that you're like a millionaire that like you're doing really well financially we see him leave the restaurant and get into this like old white pickup truck 
like 1998 maybe and he's like yeah I think she probably does think that and like you know I I have a little bit of spending money for her and you know I've spent I've but I've had to like shuffle some funds around blah 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 to accommodate her she I, I bought her a $1,200 phone and thousands of dollars of clothes and I'm gonna have to get her a car and you know, I bought a house for her and her daughter and I to live in. And so I've, I've really had to like move some money around. So we see him get in his old pickup truck to a parking lot that has a stretch Hummer limo in it. And he gets in the limo and is like, oh, I think this will be fine. I didn't even know they made stretch Hummer limos still. Like, sir, are you going to a bachelorette party in New Jersey? Like, what? (laughs) He, um, gets in there and is like, oh, I think this will be fine for me and one other person. And he, they're like, okay, it's going to be like 175 an hour or something crazy like that. And he gives the card and, uh oh, declined. Sorry. Sorry, declined. Fortunately, his other card works. But it's very clear that, like, he started off in the season talking about like he made good money this that and the third like if you're making that good money that much money i mean 25 grand is a chunk it's a chunk of change but i think if you make such good money then like your card shouldn't be declined that's for sure not not for 175 i don't know i think he's really it's very clear that he just wants like a young, hot white woman. And I'm saying white because he said that she doesn't, that the only reason why she gets in trouble, the only reason why she's in jail is because she is a pretty white woman and trouble finds her. I mean, the Trump jumped out on that one. I, this is going to be a disaster and a half. We get these like, to like these confessionals from from uh homegirl Lindsay and it's very clear that she is thinking that like I'm gonna be like a fucking real housewife of Tupelo Mississippi and this man is gonna get me everything I want and like I deserve I'm gonna treat myself I'm gonna be living like a bad bitch once I get out of jail like I'm gonna ha- lose this like blue eyeshadow that I got from the commissary, paid probably $75 for, and hello, we're going to the Sephora, and I'm going to be a beauty insider, okay? Ugh, disaster. Let's end on John and Christiana. So, we're still outside of the jail, across the street from the jail, and John is on one knee, saying like, hey, great day. Should we ramp it up by getting engaged? And Christiana's like, you know what? Absolutely. (laughs) She's excited. The cameras pan over to the women in the jail who can see from what looks like an open garage or something behind um, like some fencing and they're all cheering. Congratulations to our girl for getting proposed to about 50 yards out of the jail. (laughs) They get whisked away to a limo into the to the park. 
Um, John pops open a bottle of what looks like some sort of um, red sparkling wine or some sort of cranberry flavored situation. It was very dark in like a weird way. It was also a lot of bubbles. I don't know. I love a sparkling red, but, uh, you know, you know what I mean? This, I think, maybe, and, like, are you, uh, are you allowed to be drinking on your way to the halfway house? Like, (laughs) did that have alcohol in it? I mean, girl, everybody. Christiana tells about her dream. She's like, this is all very overwhelming, but I did have dreams to get married and, I dreamed of a wedding with mason jars and horse and carriage and I'd be in a corset dress and my husband would be in a white and turquoise tuxedo and so let's just put that on the Pinterest board. Mason jars, horse and carriage, white and turquoise tuxedo, corset dress. (laughs) Um... Does she have fake nails? How does she get fake nails? Maybe those were her real nails, but they looked like press-ons. Good on her if she got some fake ones. So they're on route to the chapel truck, and the minutes are ticking away. They have about 20 minutes to get married before they have to speed off to the halfway house. Um, I hope his truck has a Hemi in it. Because from the weight of all that wood, all those wood planks, uh, I don't know. I don't know how he thought we were like, we're going to get married in 30 minutes. I'm going to bang it out. And then we're going to be on the the way to the halfway house. Like, what is your stroke game like, John? I know what it's like. I don't even have to ask. Never mind. Um, so they roll up to the park and now it's like they have less than 15 minutes to get everything done. Christiana's clearly freaked the fuck out because John has not said anything on the car ride over to the park about like, hey, let's get married today. He's just like dropping bomb after bomb on her. So she's like, gets eyes on the truck and it's like, what? What? It's like totally, totally overwhelmed. So once he gets her out of the, out of the limo, he's like, um, yo, like, uh, let's get married today, you know? Like, they're 112. Like, meet me at the altar in your white dress. We aren't getting no younger, girl. We might as well do it. You know, let's let's get married in the Chevy XZ71. Um, turns out John got her a dress. The dress doesn't fit. Christiana's like another layer freaked out. No, I mean, I wouldn't say freaked out. She was just like, you know what? I'm not Native American. I don't understand your traditions. I am Catholic, I think she said, or Christian. And I'm just not really sure. I don't know what a Native American ceremony is. So I, I just don't know. This is all just like a lot for me. Like I barely know this dude. And now you're like, waving smoke in my face and there's a lot of like fringe happening so the dress that he got her does not fit so john's like all right put your prison clothes back on i'll make it work so he takes his like leather not leather like a suede jacket off and it's got like all of these like native american adornments and so she's sitting there in like her prison shorts and shirt, t-shirt, 
and this like big ass suede jacket and she's like there's a woman there thank god <laughs> thank god i think her name is lahoda or something lakota i'm i'm not sure and she's like are you okay like are you sure you want to do this and the episode ends on her being like i do not know <laughs> i don't think i can do this um and that's it that's it for love after lockup this week Whew. heating up we'll see what happens i'm very excited to see what happens between Lindsay and scott um i'm really praying that christiana says no to actually getting married and just like please take my ass to the halfway house before i have to go back to jail so we'll see y'all